Well, welcome to the Valley Hoops Insider podcast website. I'm Harry Schrader. We're glad you're with us tonight. We would normally call this uh, Voices of the Valley because we're talking to writers and people that cover the sport. But since we're talking about SLU basketball, maybe it shouldn't be Voices of the Valley. We'll, we'll have these guys come up with a title for it. Maybe it's the Stu and Carter Show. I don't know. We'll We'll figure it all out in just a minute. But we wanted to dig into the St. Louis University basketball team. Some transition there with some of the big stars of the team graduating from a year ago, but plenty of talent left. want to bring into the broadcast our friends Carter Chapley and Stu Durando. Uh, Carter with Danny Max Scoops. Danny Max Scoops. Am I saying that right? And then, of course, Stu from the Post-Dispatch. Let me bring them both back in by the miracle of hitting a button. And, guys, uh, thanks for joining us, Carter uh, first, tell tell people about Danny Mac Scoops. Am I saying that right, Danny Scoops Mac? No, what is it? Scoops, Scoops with Danny Scoops Mac. With Danny I Mac. don't think I knew I was saying something wrong. Where Dan McLaughlin, wherever you are, I apologize. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think he let me get away with not correcting you on that. Yeah, good. And uh, so uh, I mean, t- tell us about that site in general before we go into slew stuff at all. I mean, you work for them. Uh, you will be writing for them as the season progresses, but. Um, but, but tell us about that website in general. Uh, I mean, scoops is an awesome website. If you're into everything, St. Louis sports, Cardinals, blues, Billikens, tigers, uh, battle Hawks. Uh, I mean, anything that you can possibly <laughs> imagine they have focused on, uh, I mean, golf, gosh, they, we, they had tons of coverage for the, uh, Ascension charity open that was at, um, Norwood Hills, uh, but I mean, it's just, I think they're trying to provide a lot of in-depth coverage stuff that you might not have time for on Twitter. Um, got people with really great opinions, far greater than mine. I mean, Bernie Miklas writes every single day for free uh, on that site and that's worth the price of admission. So I hope I can contribute to it in a way that lives up to that name. Stu Durando with the Post-Dispatch. Stu, how long for you at the Post? Uh, 25 years, like this month or last wow, month, some, some in that range, but tw- yeah, 25 years. And and you've covered it all and you've ended up at the, on the Billiken beat, but what else do you cover like in a, in a consistent way? Oh God. Um, I don't know if there's anything really consistent. It's just kind of a consistently inconsistent, you know, between seasons. Um, you know, I just came off, as I told you, a weekend at drag racing, which came off a weekend at the Ascension <laughs> charity classic which came off a weekend out at the track again, covering IndyCar and NASCAR. And, you know, it's uh, so I've done some sleuth soccer now that the season started um, and they're doing really well. So it's, it's, it's a mishmash of things for about seven months between the end of the season and the start of the season. Uh, and, and you and I have been side by side at a lot of sporting events over the years and, uh, and, and, and been around a lot of different things. Uh, when we before we get to Billikens, uh, talk about just how you've seen journalism shift and change over the last twenty five years or so. Oh wow, um, <laughs> that's like a whole show in itself. Sure, it is. But uh, it's just you know constant adaptation to what we're doing, and you know it used to be uh, you know when Twitter first came out, or I remember it was the big question of. You know, you think you have a, you know, a story, a story that no one else has. And it's like, do I put it on Twitter first or do I wait and put it in the paper and make it, you know, and hope that nobody else has it, you know, and now it's just like, get it out there, whatever you got, get it out there and get it up as fast as possible. 
Accuracy um, or not, ah, who cares? This is well, all out there. There, there is some of that. I try not to be in that camp, uh, <laughs> by for for sure. But um, that's obviously the biggest thing. It's just there's no waiting anymore. Um, if you've got something, you throw it out there with sources, and uh, yeah, it's just so it's like um, you know, there's no more nine to five work days or whatever the work days were. It's it's almost a, you know, when you're, it's all waking hours are on the clock. It is amazing the way those things have changed. Uh, so I wanted to have you guys on because you guys are the, what I would call the beat riders surrounding uh, Billiken basketball. Um, I've been at a lot of the games, you know, I get to a lot of the Billiken stuff, but you guys are way closer to it than I. And and Carter, first with you, obviously they lose Goodwin and, and French from last year. I mean, the big, big pieces of, of that really outstanding basketball team. So they have to rebuild a, a reshuffle, you know, the way they, they approach things. Uh, but last year was a year I think that we would call disappointing, meaning COVID wreaked havoc with what was potentially going to be a great basketball season for the Billikens. Yeah. It's really hard to take away anything from last year in terms of outcomes, just because they were so good pre COVID in terms of when they all went on that big break, I think it was in January. And then they came out and they just were clearly not the same team. Something happened to them. And there have been stories about, you know, how impacted guys were. And it's hard to translate that from, okay, so you were off for a month. What happened? Was it just momentum stopping? Uh, but I think with the team now, you now get a, an off season where there was hopefully some, you know, relaxed restrictions, at least up until recently, uh, another opportunity to get into the, into you know, the weight room to get some normalcy back. And really now you have to live post Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French and, and you got to look for leadership. And fortunately this team has guys who've been around for a long time now. Stu, Yuri Collins is a guy that, uh, you know, has just been really outstanding at delivering the basketball to the right guy at the right time. And um, I don't know that people really figured him to be that good coming out of St. Mary's high school, but but if Carter's talking about looking for leadership, uh, to have a point guard that can really uh, run your offense and, and get the ball to the right guys, uh, you, you do want to start at the point guard position, don't you? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think uh, the leadership, uh, as Carter was talking about, I mean, you lose Hassan and, and Jordan, and they were very vocal, especially Jordan. I mean, just very loud, verbal guys. And I think you're going to get it in different ways this year. I mean, there's still some guys – on the roster who were, you know, rah, rah, loud, cheerful guys like Goodwin was, I mean, just always, but, um, you know, uh, Yuri and uh, Javante, guys like that are a little more low key, you know, the old cliche lead by example type of thing. But, you know, Yuri sets a great example. And um, yeah, I think his first two seasons were um, obviously quite good and they're going to be looking for him to really take the next step this year. Um, especially maybe with a little more scoring, you know, I don't think we're ever going to see him scoring 14, 15 points a game, but, you know, looking to score a little bit more, um, run the team. He's, you know, two years now. So he's, he should be at the top of his game in terms of running an offense. When I, when I think about this team and we, and we're going to break down the squad a little bit, but uh, you know, all the national publications talk about Javante Perkins Carter as being not only the Billiken's best player, but maybe the best player in the Atlantic 10 conference, 
what can he do for an encore? I mean, 17 points a game or whatever it was a year ago, uh, did a decent job on the boards, uh, good shooting percentage. You know, what can he take it to that proverbial next level? I'd say that the way he takes it to the next level is probably probably in his efficiency. He take he took a lot of shots and he's been he's shown flashes of being a really efficient scorer, a guy who can go seven for seven from the field and a half, you know, ten for fourteen in a game. But there are games where things break down on offense with this team, and you're going to look to someone who's going to need to take shots. Now we know Javante's confident in being the number one option on offense, and and so that's not a problem. But if you have a guy out there who's just putting up thirty. 30 shots a game, let's say, which isn't inconceivable with a guy like like Javante, and he's not hitting them effectively, he can take the next step by becoming a facilitator, by being a decoy, by moving it to the other guys on, on the uh, floor. So can he offensively take a next step? I mean, may- maybe. He might be able to turn into a 20-point, 25-point scorer. That, I mean, gosh, he sh- he's shown every indication that he could be that guy. Uh but I don't. I don't think he has to do that to become a more effective player. And Stu, do you think he's a guy that was able to score, not at will, but very, you know, relatively easily when people had to really pay attention to Haas in the post, and 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 so much attention was being given to Goodwin, who people, if people don't know, has a just a really significant shot of making the Washington Wizards. Uh, yeah. That's going to be exciting to pay attention mm-hmm. to. Is Javante the kind of guy that can carry the load when everybody's thinking about Javante Perkins? Sometimes. Um, I think we saw him fade a little bit last year um, in terms of his shot, but he, as Carter, he's really can be efficient. He can score a lot of points with very few shots. And the, he, there's nobody um, I've seen at SLU um, – who scores in as many ways as he can. And that mid range game he has developed is, you know, no, I haven't seen that at SLU um, in a long time. Uh, and so that makes, I mean, he's can, and he developed a three point shot that was way better than I expected it to be last year. He can get to the rim. Um, you know, he, and he does it. It is kind of an effortless thing. Sometimes you just see it and it just looks, it's hard to actually describe it. But when you see it, you know, and it's like you sometimes say, God, he just made that look so easy. And no, he's just smooth and um, just does so many things. I don't know if I would ever see him scoring, you know, 25 a game. He, he could certainly push 20 and he probably doesn't need to score, you know, a ton. He's going to have his nights for sure. Um, but I think there's a lot of guys on this team who can score. And um, if he's getting 18 to 20 a game. Uh, on a regular basis and the way he goes about it is just something that a lot, most teams don't have, especially in the A-10. Uh, we'll talk more about some of the guys on the, on the team as we get along, but uh, what kind of work is Travis Ford going to have to do uh, Carter to, uh, you know, they got to remodel a little bit. I mean, because they were so good when French oriented and I know they've got, you know, a big guy coming in as well, but, they were so oriented that way. What's Travis's job in this offseason? Uh, practice starts on Friday. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it, you know, last week as I kind of started working on season previews is that you look at the last two years of this team, really, you have four of the five starters pretty much penned in every night. And then, of course, Travis likes to go with the exact same lineup pretty much every every game. So you, you kind of pen it in and you know what you're going to get, you know, 
you know, you had Jordan, you had Yuri, you had Javante, and you had Hassan, and, and you know, Gibson a lot of the time uh, as well. But this year, you only really have two guys who you look at and you go, okay, those are guaranteed. Ev- those are the guys I'm going to have on the floor for 30 minutes a night and probably more if I need them, and that's Yuri and Javante. And so now you have six or seven you know, other guys to fill those other three roles who all do deserve playing time. And it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of combinations he finds and, you know, chemistries and complements each other to make it all work. And, and I think it's going to take him a lot of time to get to that point where, cause you, cause you have so many different combinations of things, you know, every night it's going to be, okay, so this guy's working, this guy's not, you got to pull him, you got to, you got to substitute them there. And so finding a, a rhythm is going to be important because he's had so much stability for the last couple of years that now he's kind of floating off a little bit more now. And Stu, I, I'm a big Terrence uh, Hargrove guy. And, uh, you know, he's so energetic and so flamboyant. Does Is that kind of energy in the way he plays, is that a guy that can translate into 25 minutes a game and and still be that same player? Or is he going to have to adjust? You know, everyone's waiting for him to have his breakout season. And, um, yeah, he does have the personality, you know, a little kind of Jordan-esque, I guess. You think Carter, um, but he's just, you know, he's the guy who brings the the goofiness and the towel waving on the sidelines. And he's, he's so, he's so enthusiastic about everything. Um, this, you know, this should be the year that he steps up and, you know, I don't, I don't have a breakout season is the way to describe it, but uh, you know, he can do a lot of things. He needs to play good defense to stay on the court um, like everybody does. But, you know, some guys you expect it regularly and, and sometimes it comes and goes. Uh, but with the way he's developed his shot, I think this team has a lot of potential three-point shooters. And he, when he gets going, I mean, I think he's become a really, not elite shooter, but very strong perimeter shooter. And with that athleticism, um, he's going to be able to do a lot of things. and He's going to be counted on to fill in some of the rebounding um, and play, play different roles uh, and, you know, guard different positions and that type of thing. So, um, he's a, he's a key in, in this rotation. There's no doubt. I mean, he should be, I don't know if he's going to be playing 25 a game. Um, but I think a lot of that remains to be seen as Carter was saying, I think early on, you're going to see a rotation with a lot of people, um, because we just don't know about some of these players and what they're going to be able to do and how they're going to fit in with the rest of the group. Carter, there's a lot of talk in the uh, in the college basketball circles and in the NBA as well about positionless players, meaning we don't have a maybe we don't have a one, two, three, four, five. We've got a bunch mm-hmm. of guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot, and all those kinds of things. But what St. Louis has is a lot of overall size without having they're not gigantic, but a whole lot of six four, six five, six six guys. And that makes that positionless basketball uh, possible for a team that maybe is going to be a little bit of plug and play for Travis Ford. Yeah. I mean, I think they have kind of the anchors set and we can, we can talk about them a little bit more, but I, I would imagine you're going to see a lot of like Yuri Collins, one Francis Okoro fives, and then three guys of that positionless basketball that you talk about guys who are both, you know, like Gibson Jimerson, six, six, he can play, you know, he can guard some, taller guys if you can show a defensive 
you know, be keen on defense like that. Terrence Hargrove's like that. Fred Thatch is like that. Um, you know, Jordan Nesbitt, Jordan Nesbitt. You know, you got a lot of these guys who can who can play these two, three, four positions. And like Stu was saying, you have you have a bunch of guys in this team who who can show three point shooting, which is so important to that positionless basketball. Have because it's one thing to have space; it's another thing to be able to do anything with it. And I think this this team is going to have that flexibility in terms of depth to be able to do it. And if one guy's not doing it on a specific night, you know, you've got two transfers in maybe Rashad Williams. We, we still don't know about his waiver. And DeAndre Jones from Central Arkansas, who are elite nationally recognized three-point shooters. So I, you're right. That positionless basketball is going to be really interesting for this team. I, I, yeah, I like the I, I like the possibility of sorry, I didn't mean to No, go ahead. I mean, yeah. I like the <laughs> possibility of them, you know, going him trying something where he uses a just a really small lineup, um, whatever that might be, you know, and you know, with Hargrove and maybe Nesbitt and and Yuri and um Fred Thatch and just see what, what they can do in spurts with a with a smaller uh, smaller athletic group. I'm, they're, I mean, not that the, the big guys aren't athletic, uh, but um, I mean, I, I think some of the potential there is kind of, I mean, maybe it flops and it doesn't work, but I'd, I'd certainly like to see it, see them run five smaller guys out there at times and see how that works out. Yeah. You, you, bo- you both, you both mentioned something that could, Oh, go ahead, Carter. Oh, I was going to say, and that's something that could really work in a template where like, like only Richmond and St. Bonaventure really have like a true five in, in Oshuna Shunahi and, and Grant Golden. Everyone else is kind of in that, what I call Hassan French five, which is like a six, eight forward who kind of plays, plays the center position because of their strength. But you, I mean, Terrence Hargrove is, is a energetic enough guy that you could send him out there against a lot of fives and have him harass them enough to make it work. So I'm, I'm with you, Stu. That could be really, really exciting. You both mentioned Fred Thatch, and there are times when Fred Thatch is almost like the best guy on the floor. You know, mm-hmm. he's the guy that's getting a loose ball, making a good pass, hitting a big shot, doing the right things. He is just a guy that has been, you know, I don't even want to say a glue guy, but a guy that just, he's a good basketball player. And 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 I think how they utilize Fred Thatch is really important. Yeah, um, I, I can almost see him kind of like, you know, Jordan was one of those guys um, who filled the, you know, we always talked about him filling the stat sheet. So, you know, he had points and rebounds, obviously he would, sometimes he approached a triple double. Sometimes he had five steals. Sometimes he blocked a couple of shots. Um, Sometimes he had six or seven turnovers, but he filled the stat sheet. And I think Fred can be a little bit like that. Um, He's going to have to rebound a little bit. You know, he's a smaller guy like Jordan, but, I think he's going to rebound. He's such a big, strong six three, and can just—he's the best leaper on the team, um, as far as I know, unless someone surpassed him. Um, and I think he's really probably an underrated shooter when he gets his confidence going. And I think he looked at times really uh, uncomfortable on offense last year, but I think as at, toward the end of the year, he started showing a little bit more. Um, maybe confidence and um, ability to score. And I I think we'll see his scoring maybe double this year. So often when you're supposed to defer to the star on the team, you look uncomfortable, right? Because, well, I'm not supposed to shoot it. I'm supposed to make sure one of those other three guys gets the ball. That's my job. And so 
I think sometimes, you know, you, you gain by losing, you know, the addition by subtraction that some of these guys will blossom mm -hmm. without Goodwin and, and, and French around. Uh, Carter, Francis Okoro uh, comes with some good, uh, a good resume, you know, came, coming from a power five school. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that guy. You said that most nights probably we got a one and a five and the other guys and, and he is that five and he's number five. So that works good too. Yeah, Francis is is a is a interesting guy coming from Oregon. Uh, he played a huge role in their 2019 Sweet 16 run. Uh, that was the year that uh, their starting center, Bull Bull, went uh, was drafted in the second round, and he got hurt late in the season. And that Francis came in, and they went on a 12 game winning streak that took them to the Sweet 16. Uh, so. He doesn't light up the stat sheet, but he's a guy that does a lot of things that you want from a five. He rebounds well. He's in the right places oftentimes. He plays strong defense. And what kind of goes underrated is he is, you know, he is coming off of a foot injury. He's coming off of a shoulder injury. Uh, in the middle of in the middle of the, his last season at Oregon. He lost his father and had to go back to Nigeria, I believe it was. Um, and this would be like three months before COVID shut down the whole world. Mm. Um, so it's it's hard to it's hard to know why exactly he didn't light up the stat sheet in his second year at Oregon. But he's an exciting player in that he's a true six eleven center. He's an he's a full size center, which this team hasn't had. I mean, they had. Uh, um, Jimmy Bell, who's no longer uh, with the team, but even then, last year with with Martin Linson, he's not a true, you know, he's six nine. I think, I think, so I think he's someone who can be really impactful in a in a conference again. Where I said earlier, you don't really have a whole lot of true six eleven centers. You don't have a whole lot of guys who can. So he's not going to go up against a ton of guys in conference play who are going to um, be bigger than him. When I when I think about this team in general. Stu, I'm so impressed by the way Travis Ford gets outstanding players from the local market. And one of those guys is Jordan Nesbitt, who's come back home. Now, he graduated, uh, went to Memphis, four-star guy and all of that. Now he's come back home. Uh, first, just the importance, I think, for the fan base to have St. Louis guys on this team. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the making that connection and um, and, and using it as a, a marketing tool, especially when those guys are good players and good guys, um, is huge. And, you know, there was kind of hit and miss over the years. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, I go back, I got into town when uh, Larry Hughes was a senior in high school, and obviously people latched onto that uh, pretty heavily, and he was uh, a bit above the talent level of most. But, uh to have a, a lot of guys from the area who people have seen in high school or followed in the newspaper um, it is definitely a, a good connecting point for people. And then, you know, you know, I haven't thought about it, but, you know, there might be opportunities where you could have five guys on the floor. Uh, what could you do with that to get five St. Louis area guys on the floor? <laughs> Yuri, Hargrove, we count, we count Fred, Thatch. Uh, what am I missing here, Carter? Well, like Nesbitt would be four and Nesbitt, yeah, Francis, we Francis played for Beal, for Brad Beal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, Coral played for too. Brad Beal. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. yeah, I mean, you could have 
five guys who are people are familiar with, not just from them showing up at SLU, but going back um, a few years. So it's a pretty cool thing. And, and, and then either one of you weigh in on Nesbitt. What, what do we expect? I mean, here's a guy, like I said, he came out of high school with all these credentials, goes to Memphis that's building this, you know, it's a magnet for great players there mm-hmm. at Memphis under Penny Hardaway. Uh, but he doesn't play much, didn't get involved much, and comes back home. Either one of you weigh in on Mr. Nesbitt. I, I think there's great potential there. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy who, if he was coming straight out of high school, would be seen as like a top recruit in the conference. One of those guys who makes all the lists is top, you know, slew bit gets top incoming recruit. I think he was ranked 70th or something in the country. Something like that. Very high. Yeah. Right. And, and so I give a lot of credit to Jordan uh, Nesbitt for wanting to go to school early for leaving. He graduated high school semester early so he could enroll in college. And I can imagine, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not too far removed from my college experience where you get to, you get to school and, and, Maybe it's not for you. Maybe something about it isn't isn't for you. And I, I I seem to remember that that was the story on why he left. He knew right away that Memphis just wasn't the right spot, and he didn't get any playing time. And and so all of a sudden, you know, he's a what would be a true freshman coming to SLU, uh, but he has you know I think a, an NIT championship with Memphis under his belt. So it, it, it's hard to know what went wrong there without being a fly on the wall. But I think if you were to believe the pre-Memphis hype about him, he can be an impact player right away, and you hope that he can be. Yeah, that was just a hard situation because, as Carter explained, he goes down there at midseason, which doesn't happen very often. And, you know, you're trying to acclimate to college. You're trying to, you know, get to know the guys who he probably knew a little bit, but and then trying to break into the lineup and people expect a lot out of you. And so they expect to see you on the floor and he just wasn't getting, you know, he only played three or four games if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he knew uh, based on talking to his dad that he probably wasn't in the right place and should have stayed home uh, maybe from the beginning, but it was a, you know, something he learned from and he doesn't look, he doesn't lose any eligibility. So just an experience that you chalk up. And I think he's, he's, you know, a potential starter here. Yeah, I think he's got that kind of talent. And again, we talk about overall size. He's 6'4", 6'3", 6'5", something like that. So he's got the size, the body. He has the high school credentials. Uh, and again, I'm just, I'm I'm always a guy that loves to see local happen, you know? And and so seeing that as well um, is exciting. Uh, they list him at 6'6". Oh, really? That tall? I need to, ch- I need to look into that. Yeah. They listed Hassan a little larger than he was also. Well, every team lies. Everybody does. <laughs> so any of the new guys uh, besides Okoro, Carter, that, that that stick out to you? You mentioned uh, Williams and Jones and maybe Strickland. Uh, talk about some of those guys that, you know, maybe first impressions, first thoughts. Yeah, Rashad Williams is really interesting. He he He's still waiting on his transfer waiver because this would be his second transfer. So he wouldn't fall under all that transfer portal first waiver uh stuff but i mean this is the guy who led the ncaa in three-point attempts <laughs> last year like his highlight tape at oakland is just watching a. I mean it's watching a guy who who's a, a good three-point shooter and doesn't have a whole lot else around him and the coach goes well we need to we need you to score so he takes every shot available to him and i i think that's an interesting weapon to have on this team 
but I, I'm curious to see if that kind of thing translates to um, where, no, you can't take, I think it's something like 270 three-pointers this year. <laughs> yeah, like Travis lets other- his guys, Travis gives his guys the green light, but it may be, he may be reined in a little bit. But you when you note, um, I mean, two of his biggest games, if not his two biggest scoring games last season were against Michigan State and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, yeah. Uh, you know, two pretty decent teams. So, and he, he was coming off an injury, I think, in one of them. So when he gets going, there's another guy who gets rolling, and we just don't know yeah. how he's going to fit into this mix. Um, you know, I'm sure he's in the rotation to start and gets his uh, definitely his opportunities. And, and I do think, Carter, that they'll eventually sign off on that. I mean, guys all over the country yeah, are getting signed off on because the first transfer was before the change. So this is actually just their first free agent transfer. What about uh, DeAndre Jones? Well, Slew saw him last year. Did they see him two mm-hmm. years, Carter? Yeah. Um, two years. Yeah, twice. Yeah, uh, from Central Arkansas by way of, I believe, Boise, Idaho. Um, and he's, a, he's your I, – I assume he's your backup point guard. I mean, he's played point guard a lot yeah. of games in college basketball. Uh, he had a good game against SLU last year, and um, he's in. You know, he's a point guard, but he's another guy who can shoot it and score. Um, at least he did at the level he was playing at. So it's just another intriguing piece. Uh, I think Carter would agree. It's like he may end up playing seven minutes a game, or he might really have some games where he's a, a dangerous weapon. We could talk about a lot more guys, and 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 I don't want to get hung up on just kind of listing a guy and having you guys just go. But, <laughs> but, but Linson to me is a is a player that I wonder about. Meaning they bring in Okoro. Linson got mm-hmm. plenty of time last year. I mean, plenty about 10, 12 minutes a game. But, um, but is he a guy that can stand up? Is sturdy enough in the A ten night after night? Yes. I don't know if you need him to be. I think he is, but like for what for what you're asking. But I think he's your backup five, and I think he knew that coming here. I mean, Francis was with the program last year. He he mm-hmm. he spent the whole season. So when when Martin signed, he knew where he stood. And and I mean, I I like Martin if only because he does so many gritty little things night after night, just taking hard screens. Uh, moving moving the ball going in and i mean just i mean if you want to call him a body bag for five fouls a night i mean he does that really really well too and i really like martin i think he i think he's a he's a very high-end backup center yeah he was to me he was the biggest surprise on the team last year i didn't know what to expect from him and um you know he played in in that second game of the season he played in place of Hassan yeah. and they beat when they beat LSU. Now that's saying something. I'm sure. Um, and then he continued to have a big role um, throughout the season. And I mean, he was uh, efficient. He's really, I think he's really fundamentally sound. He shoots a high percentage. Um, he's not going to grab you eight or nine rebounds a game. He's not that Hassan kind of guy, but um, you know, he plays, there were one or two games where he was really key down the stretch on defense um, I think he's re- he's really effective. Uh, before we, I let you guys go. Uh, I want to talk about maybe the biggest challenges for Travis Ford, and it might be 
you know, the loss of one of his coaches, one of his relatives, you know, heading in, you know, in the off season and all of that. But uh, so I want to talk about that in just a moment. But when I look at the schedule and they do have some extremely mm-hmm. easy games, but then you've got Memphis, you've got, uh, you know, when they when they go on the road for that uh, Cancun challenge, you've got some opportunities. Um, Auburn later in the season. Drake, do you like the schedule? Do you like the way it breaks down? Well, um, I don't know if Carter would agree. I think this is the best schedule. I mean, last year they were supposed to play some teams they didn't play, um, and that probably would have been. But this, I think, um, consistently up and down with Drake and Boise State and UAB was a 20-win team. Missouri Valley's Belmont. Belmont. Yes, Missouri Valley's (laughs) Belmont. Uh, Missouri Valley's Belmont. This is a real, I think this is a really good schedule. It's, it poses a lot of problems for a team that's got to figure some things out with guys that aren't coming yeah. back. Carter, your thoughts on you that those... schedule, same thing. Well, yeah, I think, I think the only real cakewalk you have is those probably those first four nights before you go to Memphis where you play two exhibitions and Harris Stowe in central Arkansas, <laughs> I think, I think is, I think is the, uh, those first four games. And I think that's where Travis can really spend some time tinkering with the lineups and seeing, you know, not maybe, ne- maybe not everyone gets 30, anybody gets 30 minutes a night, but everyone, everyone gets 18 or something. So, and just see what lineups work, what, before you go into what could be the best, high, most highly ranked game slew has played since, since what Duke um, when they were, when they were number one or number two. Uh, I mean, it's possible considering how highly ranked Memphis could be. Uh, yeah, I mean, every game down the schedule after that first week is it going to be a competitive game. I, I'm I'm not a big gambler, but I think that's one of those games where you like one of those things where you see like the spreads being like five or six or seven points every night. Like it's close. So I think this I think Travis has learned from you know mistakes of years past where you don't where maybe you don't play as many good games on the road even in your scheduling. You schedule all these big games and maybe you lose you know, two of three to Drake, Auburn, and Memphis, but you beat one of them and that goes a lot farther because you've played a lot of good teams rather than playing nobodies and losing your only big games. So when I think forward into the A-10 season and all that and the preseason magazines are saying the Billikens are going to be three, four, five in the A-10, is that a reasonable spot for Travis Ford's remaking of this team and and uh, the talent level based on what you guys can maybe remember and project into the A10 from last year. I would say if they're being picked, I mean they're going to be picked behind uh St. Bonaventure and Richmond in almost yeah. anything. Um and then then you can throw a bunch of teams probably in a hat and you know um as often happens and you know they all end up beating each other up a little bit. But um yeah, for that, I think there are, you know, another top four finish is definitely in the cards. Um, and we just don't know as much about this team as we did the last two years going into the season when everyone expected them to compete for the championship. Um, so to have to be reshuffling a little bit and be considered a top four team is, is a pretty good situation, I would say, going into the season. Carter, thoughts? I I agree entirely. I think the conference has gotten better. I think St. Bonaventure is going to be really good. Richmond's going to be really good. Uh, and then 
there's that kind there's a gap and then there's slew dayton davidson um i'm forget vcu and, yeah, and, and then rhode even island. rhode island and then even after that you have teams like uh george mason's brought in uh kim english to kim coach english. that team and, and and they're looking really good um you've got umass who's trying to survive post trey mitchell but they still have a pretty good i mean i i think more than anything it's going to be a year where you know the mid pack of the conference is going to raise the profile and that's a good thing that's that can only be good uh final thoughts um you joked about the Missouri Valley's Belmont, uh, Carter. The um, that news breaks today, and you know it's been coming out for a week. But it break, you know, they finally have the announcement today, and it makes me think about realignment. And of course, a lot of people said, "Well, SLU should go to the Missouri Valley," which they will never do. Um, but but I do think there is still that longing uh, at, on in, on West Pine and, and in that community to be in the big east do we think realignment will ever reach that arena to where slu actually ends up getting to go to the conference they really want to play it go for it not, not anytime not anytime <laughs> soon not yeah. anytime soon unless unless some some major cataclysmic change happens where the big east breaks up and creates something new i think an athletic writer wrote writer wrote something about the catholic 10 which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, but I think it's probably in SLU's best interest and in SLU's fans' best interest to worry about improving the profile of the A-10 more than going elsewhere. I think they're in a pretty good home right now, all things considered. I mean, just seeing how the American just collapsed in a manner of right. in a manner of days. And, I mean, now Memphis is without a home and, and really, and, and SMU as well. So unless they ended up in the Big 12 as well, which I, I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I really wanted Belmont to come to the A10. I thought they would have been a great add to the A10. Give give more regionality for for St. Louis to go somewhere. I th so Good trip. I, absolutely, I wanted I wanted Belmont and and Loyola to join the West Coast Conference of the A10. So I'm I, I'm happy for Arch Madness because that'll make that event so much more fun with Belmont there. But I wanted a I wanted uh, I wanted the Bruins in the A10. And, I think the, can, the, the idea of the Catholic, all Catholic conference that's gone on for since I was yeah. been in St. Louis and probably long before that was a great idea that just never wasn't going to happen. But I mean, the, the collection of teams you could have had uh, in a league be like really that good. would have been real, really, that would have been a fun league. And Stu, for the, the, the casual college basketball fan, they don't really know how good the Atlantic 10 is, do they? I mean, there's years when you're going to be up and down, but it's a good, solid basketball league. It's right now, I'd say that's probably a good description. Good, solid league that has had better days. Um, and it's had probably uh, worse days. But, you know, they're trying to get back to that point where they're not People aren't talking in uh, February about, well, can the A-10 get a third team in? You know, they want to get back to the days where it's can the A-10 get a fifth or sixth team in? And, um, you know, right now they're not there. I think this is going to be a good season. There's a lot of players back um, that were very good, that have a lot of experience. And um, but I don't know that we're going to be yet at the point where we're looking at, you know, a four or five team 
in the NCAA tournament. It would be nice. Three-bid league. It's a three-bid league. Three-bid league. <laughs> That's worth a lot of money. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yep. Three's not bad. It's better than two. <laughs> better than one. Not as good as six. I think they had, what, they have six? Several I think that back. was the peak, yeah. Uh, if there was a conference that I remember when the Missouri Valley and the Mountain West had a, you know, a thing and like the Big East will play somebody, you know, Southeast Conference will play the Big 12 or whatever it might be. Is there a league that you think is comparable, meaning like equal to the A-10, that that would be a logical connection if they were going to come up with some kind of a challenge like that league versus league? Well, you know what this one is. I think, Carl, well, it almost happened. Well, they had they had it scheduled up until this year. With it was the Mountain West, wasn't it? That's yeah. that's who they they scheduled. And Slew was supposed to play. It wasn't Diego last State year. Last San year. Diego State, the Aztecs. Been a yeah, great game. Oh my gosh, it would have been on. I think it was like on Christmas, on like the day before Christmas or something like that. It was. Yeah, a, it was pre-COVID outbreak for Slew. Yeah, yeah. So um, that would be a fun one, I think. Um, Gosh, other than that, I mean, there are, it's hard to know what a, what a, who's out there that would want one. I, I'd love to see one against like the, the Big East. Like, I think that would be something that you, that you could have a lot of fun with in, in having the higher end teams in the conference prove themselves against some of the higher end teams of the Big East year after year. I think that would, no, I don't think the Big East would ever do that because they don't want to ever suggest the idea that the A10 is better than they are. Um, but yeah, the Mountain West is, I, I I'm really disappointed that never, um, matriculated. I think the West Coast Conference would make a good, mm. some good matchups as well. I mean, it would never it's happen, not, but you know, see Gonzaga playing someone and St. Yeah. Mary's. Um, and there's, you know, there's a bunch of other teams in that league that are very competitive. Um, of course, they're not going to come to mind off the top of my head, but San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. San Francisco was yeah. pretty yeah. good last year. Um, <laughs> Uh, B oh BYU BYU um, the top of that conference very strong could make for some good games but well gentlemen I've just... kept you online way too long I apologize but I appreciate the time tonight Stu Durando of the Post Dispatch when's what's the next piece of literature that you'll be producing for the Post Dispatch me yes you what's I, the I, at this point I don't <laughs> I wrote something about Belmont today for tomorrow's paper there you go you just, and I were uh, on that press conference today. Yeah, get that. Yeah, and get that covered. Um, I'm done with my trips to the auto racing world for 2021, and I think I'm done with my golf coverage. So I, I think it's pretty much basketball and soccer from here on out. And listen, in St. Louis, we like that. We we love our own. Tell folks what your son's up to. I know he's really just growing and prospering in the business. Thanks for mentioning him. He Bennett's uh, was a Mizzou journalism grad. And he just uh, about, God, it's been almost two months now, started a job in Auburn, Alabama, covering Auburn athletics um, for the USA Today Network. It's awesome. And, and the newspaper so down there in Montgomery, coming, Alabama. Will he be coming up here to cover the, the game here? The uh, Auburn so. game. I'm counting on it. He's got a place to stay. I was so going to say he's got yeah. three, room, three, three room and board. There's no yeah. expense there. Just has to get here. There you go. And then Carter writing for Scoops with Danny Mack. Uh, you guys will be starting to produce Billiken stuff down the road a little bit. Um, but uh, that I just think that that is such a unique niche that Danny's put together. And he's got guys, great quality guys like yourself and others that are providing unique coverage. 
to each one of the different sports. I'm I'm very grateful that Danny's been uh, courageous enough to to believe in me to to, to do this job, and I only, I can only hope I come through considering my direct counterpart on the Cardinal side is Bernie Miklas. So I, 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 I try and remember that when I, whenever I'm writing, that is this something Bernie would write? And usually the answer is no, but uh, I try my best. Carter's but, threatening to put out 10,000 word preview on the I bill. I can't page, wait. Which I, which I cannot I have uh, keep up with. I have it right here. It's 22 pages and it has a table of contents. Oh my it's, God. it's in editing. Now I don't know if that's going to come out all at once, but it, when it when it when it all does come out, it might come out in multiple segments just to keep wow. Stu's attention. Uh, I'll release a PDF of it if if that's what people want. I look forward to it. That'd be spectacular, yeah. guys. I appreciate your time tonight talking Billiken basketball. Billiken should be good. They start practice this Friday, and they you know and for real, obviously they've had workouts and so forth, but real practice starts this Friday. Appreciate you folks tuning in to our uh, podcast tonight here on valleyhoopsinsider.com. I'm Harry Schrader reminding you, since you've been there, make it a better place. We'll see you again real soon. Carter, Stu, thanks so much. Thanks, Harry. Thank you, you, Carter.